Good morning, Pensacola. Andrew McKay and the Pensacola Morning News starts right now. writing over with the Wall Street Journal, an opinion piece says this, the power of the department, meaning the Justice Department, now has over the 24 election is extraordinary. How long will the probes drag on? Will one investigation finish sooner than the other, giving one candidate an advantage? Will one man be exonerated while the other's indicted? How much information will be leaked in each probe in an attempt at partisan advantage? You know, that's a fair point, right? That's Shannon Bream for Fox News Sunday yesterday talking about, actually, actually quoting from a Wall Street Journal piece. And by the way, I kind of like the way Shannon is handling Fox News Sunday, bringing a lot of these outside sources and reading you opinions of various I, I like that I think it's you know obviously very different from how Chris Wallace did it uh, but I, I like that way of doing it anyway because I, I like to hear from different voices and I like the evidence kind of based approach she um, you know quotes his piece that says look we now have you know special counsels working on the to, you have to say, front runners, right? Trump is the only one who's declared, and Biden is running for re-election, you would assume, unless something changes between now and then. And so you potentially have the, or at least at the moment, you have the, the two front runners for president both being investigated by the Department of Justice. That's insane. <laughs> of course, you know, I think what other people would say is, also, the handling of classified documents by the both of them is insane. So, <laughs> you know, he gets... You know, it's understandable. And what are you supposed to do? Ignore the problems? Not really. Uh, but then Guy Benson from Town Hall, a conservative viewpoint. You would think that Team Biden, which discovered these documents according to their story before the election, mm -hmm. so months ago, would have gotten their act together rather than what we've actually seen, which is a drip, drip, drip of their own making, even though they control the circumstances, which is, I think, political malpractice, certainly. When it comes to the legal side of it, and certainly, the, I think, the, the optics on the politics as well, I keep saying that the Hillary Clinton standard or precedent is the most relevant here. I think of the three people we're talking about, her conduct was most egregious. She was never charged. You know what's interesting? It is true. They've had, you know, two months, two and a half months, the Biden team has had to figure out how do we want to present this to the American public because they did not disclose it immediately. And they did not do good. <laughs> they did not handle this, which is a political mistake, right? You would think that if you've got that much time to figure it out, you'd be able to come up with something better than, well, you know, I didn't park my Corvette in the street or anything. <laughs> like, that's just such an incompetent. Uh, again, not saying the Trump team did did well, just saying they've really this didn't catch them by surprise. They're the ones who discovered it. Right. So and that's the uh, conservative viewpoint. Then Juan Williams, of course, the other viewpoint. I think the sins are close enough to the casual observer that they would say, well, you know what? It, one president did it, now another president did it. You know, let's just forget. It's, it's an equal playing field. In fact, this is the most crazy thing. This is a, a situation where you have one individual who's forthcoming, one who's hiding. You have one individual who's cooperating, one who's been stonewalling. One instance, which is intentionally taking documents for more than a year, refusing to give them up versus someone who says that some documents were a surprise and accidentally discovered, and the quantity of the documents is hugely different. But again, the sin is close enough that the casual observer is going to say, 
well, they all do it, so let's just let Trump off the hook. Yeah, it's a very interesting point of view. And I actually tend to agree with him that these are things that appear very similar at first. It seems like an obvious gotcha. The one did it, the other did it. But I also agree with him that there are significant distinctions in the cases. And I tried to make this point on Friday. Um, I think Biden's big problem on this topic is that he made such a deal out of saying the president was incompetent. How dare he mishandle documents? And then, lo and behold, right? But they are different. Okay, they are not the same. Uh, For example, with Biden, you've got about 20 documents that have been found uh, total, including one marked top secret. For Trump, is about 300, uh, including 25 marked top secret. Uh, The Biden ones were found by Team Biden. In fact, one of the weird parts of this story is when they found some, they then like sent their own team members or lawyers to go look through all of the boxes to find to make sure there weren't any others. But that means that you have people who do not have access clearance looking for the documents that they're not allowed to read right. to then turn over <laughs> to somebody who is allowed to handle them properly. I mean, that's weird. Okay. I don't know what your solution would be on that. Do you call in the people who have the eligibility to read the documents to look? I mean, that would be difficult anyway, but that's just kind of one of the weird parts about this story is, you know, um, you go look for the documents that you're not allowed to read. I found one. Did you read it? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> It's kind of an odd thing. Um, on the other hand, the, uh, Team Trump, the documents were demanded by the National Archives and then seized by the FDI. Uh, FBI. Uh, of course, Biden turned them over, and uh, the Trump's uh, refusal, rejection, obstruction of justice investigations followed from all of this. So there are important differences. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, but the problem, as Juan Williams points out, is they seem similar enough. The average person these days is not all that interested in the nuance. And because it was criticized so heavily by Biden, when you wound up being the one also doing something like that, you know, and your Corvette defense isn't really going to hold up all that well, well, you got a problem politically. 716 on News Radio 923, Candy's got traffic for you. We're not showing any slowdowns or delays right now. It looks like everything's running fine. No issues on Beulah Road. It looks like Nine Mile not having any issues uh, either. Everything's running fine. Look for your usual areas of congestion. Pine Forest doing A-OK. And all exits off I-10, I-110 reporting as clear. Traffic tips, text 437-1620. It's News Radio 92.3. Informative, local, dependable. You know, if you are 64 turning 65, you're going to probably be switching over to, you know, government health care, government health insurance, right? And that means that it can be a little bit concerning because you don't know what you know what is medicare what does it mean what is advantage what is supplement why are people calling me why are people uh sending me letters why are so many people trying to make this seem like it's a scary it's not it's not it's very easy but if you're unfamiliar and you're making a major change and you know who's going to pay for your health insurance it can seem like a big deal that's why you call ricky stewart Okay, Ricky Stewart Insurance, she's a good friend of mine. I've known her as long as I've lived here. Her whole family does insurance, and she handles just this, just the transition over onto Medicare. And you might even be wondering, like, is Medicaid apply? Same, just ask. She'll, she'll ask. She, you know, if I were 64, I would be calling Ricky <laughs> because she will help you with this. 341-2185 for Ricky Stewart Insurance. As the new year unfolds, here's another reason to buy your new Volkswagen from Piedmore Imports in Pensacola. How about over $1,000 off MSRP on the 2022 Volkswagen Tiguan? These VW SUVs with third row seats are priced to move, so hurry and take advantage of these discounted prices on a limited quantity of the 2022 VW Tiguan. Discounted over $1,000 off MSRP. And Piedmore Imports is offering a finance rate of 3.5%. 
0.9% APR up to 36 months on select 2023 models, including the VW Taos, Tiguan, Atlas Cross, and Atlas SUV. Plus, military discounts of $500 are always available when you buy your new Volkswagen from Piedmore Imports on New Warrington Road. Piedmore Imports. They're not in Car City, so you won't pay Car City prices. 106 New Warrington Road, just up the street from NAS Pensacola. Special APR rates for qualified credit through BCI. See dealer for details. The cost of health care is all in the news. Tune in tomorrow morning at 10 on the Pensacola Expert Panel as ProHealth will be the guest and we'll be discussing how ProHealth medical membership programs can help you take out the stress and cost of health care. That's tomorrow morning at 10 as ProHealth will be the guest on the Pensacola Expert Panel. The Pensacola Expert Panel, 9 to 11 weekdays on News Radio 923 AM 1620. As a business owner, you have a lot on your plate, from managing staff, growing your business, training new hires, and more. With so much going on, you need Avalon. As an IRS-certified PEO, Avalon HR can help from running your payrolls, remitting state and federal taxes, helping with COVID employee retention credits, workers' compensation insurance, employee benefits, and their HR expertise. Avalon HR lets you focus on your core business while we handle the rest. Avalon HR, employing made easy. Stream us online at newsradio923.com or download the News Radio Pensacola app. The Ark is a source of unspeakable power and it has to be researched. And it will be, I assure you, Dr. Brody, Dr. Jones, we have top men working on it right now. Who? Top men. Good morning, 720 on News Radio 92.3. Informative, local, dependable, sunny. <laughs> it's sunny out. Woo-hoo. Oh, it is. Look at that. I'll take it. Look at finally. you. Look at you, finally decent weather. Uh, David Wayne is in the newsroom this morning with our headlines. David? Well, one day after what would have been his 94th birthday, the nation observing Martin Luther King Jr. Day today, uh, federal and county offices will be closed, banks as well, and uh, of course, no mail delivery today. Now, former Alabama men's basketball player Darius Miles being held without bail in connection to a deadly shooting on Sunday morning. Police say a 23-year-old woman was shot and killed after an apparent altercation near campus in Tuscaloosa. Miles and another suspect facing capital murder charges. And the uh, James Cameron's second Avatar movie still, again, number one at the box office. Uh, the Way of the Water earned another $31 million over the uh, the weekend in theaters across the U.S. and Canada. And uh, the co- horror comedy Megan came in second, making about $18 million over the weekend. All right, we can all I do a creepy dance. Do her dance. That's yeah, right. that weird <laughs> thing. <laughs> David, yeah. thanks so much for the update. 721 here on News Radio 92.3. Uh, hey, coming up in uh, about 15 minutes, we're going to be talking to Escambia Superintendent Tim Smith uh, about particularly the graduation rates. I don't know if you saw this over the weekend, but uh, Studio 850, John Singley does such a good job. He does. Um, but Studio 850 had a good story based on the, you know, the Department of Education dumped some data on Friday. And the data dump on Friday included graduation rates going back, you know, many years back to at least 2018. 
And one of the very, very, very frustrating news notes out of that data dump is that if you look at the Escambia County graduation rate from 2019, it was 85%, 84.8. It went up slightly in 2020 to 86.5, slightly up to 87 in 2021. And that is not great to begin with, right? 88% is 87% is not great to begin with. It's getting better and it had been getting better. And that was pandemic era, okay? And then it dropped from 87% in 2021 to 78%. It dropped nine points in a year. But, but the department cautions you to say, don't look at 2021 to 2022. Go back previously because of testing and COVID and other matters. Uh, Go back to 2019. And there you get about a seven point drop for Escambia County, which is still really, really bad. 6.4%. So you can, you say, well, okay, but tell me in context, like what about other counties, right? Did it, was it stuff that would be seen across all of the counties and therefore it's not uniquely a problem for Escambia County? Unfortunately for Escambia County, the answer is no to that question because for example, Santa Rosa went from 88.9 up to nine, this is 2019, up to 20, uh, 90.3 and 90.3 in the pandemic and then 89.9. So it went up a point. In the same period that Scambia went down six and a half points, uh, Santa Rosa went up a point. Um, Everybody saw a drop off. Almost everybody saw a drop off after the pandemic. Walton County, 88.9, then to 91.5, then to 91.4, up to 96.7 last year. So they went up dramatically. They went up seven points as much as we went down. And then all of Florida, if you want your baseline, all of Florida went 86.9, 90, 90.1, and then 87.3. So a drop over the last year of two and a half, three points, but an increase of about half a point since 2019. So in context, much, you know, the state as a whole and our neighboring counties either held steady or went up slightly since 2019 and Escambia dropped six points in the graduation rate. That's the total number of graduates out of the cohort who started, what, in ninth grade and did not manage to graduate. That's bad. I mean, that's really, really bad. So uh, we'll talk to him about that. And I did a little bit more deeper looking into the numbers because I was kind of curious about, you know, like, well, how are individual schools doing? And I don't have the aggregate numbers for the individual schools, but I do have the racial breakout. And that's really concerning. Like if you look at Escambia High School, the white graduation rate at Escambia High is 81.7. That's very low. Okay, very low. The black graduation rate at Escambia High is 60%. 21 points lower. Oh, my gosh. 21 points lower. Pensacola High School, the white graduation rate. And I don't think this is new, but I just, you know, I had never seen it side by side quite this way. Uh, Pensacola High School, 87.7% for whites, 67% for blacks, 20% lower. Uh, Pine Forest is only 78 for whites. That's significantly lower. Uh, and and the, the drop for blacks is not as much. It's 73.7. So they're closer in average in that case. Washington is 88% for whites, 71% for blacks. Uh, and then a couple of other schools like Northview is 85. It's you know up in the north end, 85% for whites, 83 for blacks. And then West Florida, where you have all the best students because the magnet school, uh, 98% for whites, 100% for blacks. Great. Okay, so much more comparable. But man, that difference between the races. Uh, I think did I say Tate? 
I think you I have didn't not say, said I think Tate. I didn't, didn't say Tate. Yeah, Tate was 86% for whites, 87% for blacks. Right. So what I notice, and I don't know how accurate this is, but I notice also in Santa Rosa County, you just don't have this big discrepancy between whites and blacks. Um, it's particularly like the more rural area schools, you don't have the big distinction. Mm-hmm. More urban area schools, you do have the big distinction. I wonder if it ties into affordable housing. I, I because, I'm going to ask Superintendent Smith you know, about this because this is. Does Walton County have the same problem we do? I, or maybe, I didn't get a chance to oh. look at everybody's data the same way. I, I just was looking at ours and was horrified by it. Yeah. Uh, t- Candy, and again, we'll talk to him in about 10 minutes. Candy's got traffic on the fives. Uh, watching one accident. This is Wild Lake Boulevard and Lavelle Way in Pensacola near the Hardee's and the Cracker Barrel and in, in that area near the I 10 uh, turnoff as well. Not showing a roadblock, but certainly watch emergency crews uh, on scene. Traffic tips text. 437-1620. It's News Radio 923. Informative, local, dependable. Yeah, so I will definitely ask him about this. And I I know that at least some people are already grumbling and saying, you know, look, he's the superintendent. You know, if we lose seven points on our graduation rate uh, over the time that he's in office, well, it's a little bit more than that, actually, but we got to factor out COVID. Uh, blame has to go to somebody. You know, if the point of hiring an appointed superintendent was to have a better outcome for your school districts. This is bad, you know, being forced to jettison Warrington Middle School to a charter school, which you cannot lay that entirely at his feet, but also didn't get fixed either, right? And I just, I, you know, I, I know there's a lot of people who are kind of taking that view, but we'll talk about some of that stuff with the superintendent coming up uh, in about seven minutes. 727 here on News Radio 92.3. What else do we have going on? Um, Obviously, it's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Okay, we have the parade again after a two-year hiatus, so uh-huh. that's good news. And I love to see uh, the honoring going on for that. And, you know, I kind of mentioned this before, but I think it bears repeating. One of the things to me about Martin Luther King Jr. that made him so powerful was not just that he was a great orator. He was. It's that he was a man of deep religious conviction. And, you know, you kind of you sometimes hear... You haven't heard it as much recently, but you did sometimes hear in the past the argument that uh, religious people are the danger. You know, that deeply committed religious people are the ones who make for the terrorists and the abortion bombers. And, right, you know, those are the scary people. Well, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., nobody ever accused him of being a man of mild faith. <laughs> you know, he, nobody ever said, you know, he's kind of a lukewarm Christian. No, it was because he was committed to his faith, because. It's not religion per se that's the problem. It's the shape of the religion, the tenets, the viewpoints of the religion. You know, how does it make you behave? What does it make you do? Is it true? You know, it's kind of an important part as well. But the point is, I mean, like, you know, the Amish are pretty devoted to their religion. But I don't think anybody's ever really said that the Amish devotion to their religion has been the source of great trouble, (laughs) you know, in the world, right? It's so, again, Martin Luther King Jr., devoted, deeply committed man of faith, and he revolutionized the way we think about civil disobedience, the way we think about racial justice. Um, He did it the right way. You know, his letter from a Birmingham jail and the, you know, the, the tenets that he laid out of how to conduct civil disobedience, to go through a period of purification, to, you know, pray for your enemies, the kinds of things that Christianity teaches, um, but to also, you know, direct action against the law, which is itself unjust, not against other targets that like, you know, stopping freeways and things like that, that have nothing to do with the law in question, things that the modern civil rights movement would do well to think about, you know, what is the appropriate way to protest these things, ineffective protests is not going to get you anywhere and being a phenomenal orator obviously so uh it's it, and and I'll be honest it's I find it embarrassing 
when people I tend to agree with politically or philosophically say stupid things, <laughs> you know, because I'm like, shh, you're not helping, shh. And you do, you do hear uh, people who are conservatives and they talk about, uh, well, you know, that guy and, uh, you know, all the ladies or, you know, that guy and the communist. Stop it. <laughs> Just shh. You're not helping, and uh, half of what you're saying is false. <laughs> so if you could just please not, you know, that would be fantastic because you really are not helping the cause. 7.30 here on News Radio 92.3. Like I said, Superintendent Smith is coming up next. Uh, David Wayne, what do you have coming up in your news, sir? A shooting in Santa Rosa County may have been a stand-your-ground case. We'll have more on that right after this update from Fox News. News. I'm Chris Foster. House Republicans want a list of people who might have had access to classified documents found at President Biden's home in Wilmington, Delaware. Utah Congressman Chris Stewart. For those who think that, well, the president didn't realize that he had those in his possession, it, it just is nonsense. Of course he knew that he had them. He was on CBS Face the Nation, Michigan Senate Democrat Debbie Stabenow on NBC's Meet the Press. Well, it's certainly embarrassing, right? I mean, it's embarrassing that you would find a small number of documents, certainly not on purpose. An independent special counsel's investigating. There's even more rain in California. As much as 35 inches of rain here over the last several weeks, so nowhere for new rain to go. The streams are already full, the ground is saturated, so all of this new rain likely going to be causing more additional flooding here. We actually have another round getting on Wednesday and Thursday. We are not done as it's just been round after round. Fox meteorologist Adam Klotz, at least 19 people have been killed in the storms that started late last month. America's listening to Fox News. Good morning, 731. It is News Radio 92.3. I'm David Wayne. Right now it's mostly clear skies, 50 degrees here in Pensacola. The Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Office says a homeowner probably won't be facing charges after shooting a person through his front door in Gulf Breeze on Saturday morning. We believe the actual shooting is going to be a stand-your-ground issue. Sheriff Bob Johnson does say that while the homeowner probably won't be charged for the actual shooting, they could face other charges based on things deputies found during the investigation. The person that was shot was taken to the hospital reportedly is in stable condition. Homicides are up in Florida's largest city. Four people killed in two shootings in Jacksonville yesterday, and that brings the number of homicides to 10 this year uh, in the city. Scambia County's high school graduation rate has fallen more than 6% from the last year before the pandemic. Meanwhile, the statewide graduation rate did slightly increase. Uh, that according to some recently released data by the Florida Department of Education, they say the statewide graduation rate was 87.3% for the 2021 22 school year. Scambia County's graduation rate 78.4%, down from 84.8% in 2018 and 2019. It's Mardi Gras season. Some big crowds over the weekend in Seville Square for the seventh annual pin and bead swap. Uh, it's not just a chance for area crews, though, to swap pins and beads. It's also a fundraiser for area charities. All the diapers come in from all the different crew members that are working today, and the crew blues for every single diaper box they receive, they give a pin for 
start donating the diapers. So every year people collect the pins to get for the diaper drive. The diapers are the number one thing that Gulf Coast Kids House has needed for years. So we always try to make sure that the Mardi Gras season is about the kids and that's what we're here to do. And of course, like any good Mardi Gras event, it also featured entertainment and there were more than 20 different crews involved. Pensacola woman died after having a medical episode while driving and crashing into a pole on Sunday. Now, this happened near Lillian Highway in the Admiral Mobile Home Park. Florida Highway Patrol says the 65-year-old woman crashed as a result of the medical problem she was having. She was taken to the hospital and later pronounced dead. An investigation still ongoing. The second annual round or the second roundtable discussion on gun violence that's set to happen this week. Uh, the event hosted by Scambia County Sheriff Chip Simmons at the Brownsville Community Center. It'll be going on Wednesday evening. They'll be discussing gun violence here in uh, Escambia County, possible strategies and solutions. And anybody in the community is welcome to attend. Again, that's going to happen 530 Wednesday evening at the Brownsville Community Center. Scientists with the University of Florida say they've discovered a way to make fentanyl safer. A study published in the scientific journal Nature states uh, experts have now figured out how to modify chemicals in the opioid that they say could reduce its harmful side effects while maintaining its pain-relieving benefits. Experts have tested the treatment on mice, but they didn't say when or if they're planning to begin human trials. It is 7.35 at News Radio 92.3. Let's get a look at your traffic on the fives with Candy. All right. Watching one accident. This is Wild Lake Boulevard and Lavelle Way in Pensacola. Close to the Hardys and the Cracker Barrel off Pine Forest. But it is clear. I'm showing it's clear. But uh, watch your emergency crews on scene. And then watch for your usual uh, areas of congestion. If you have traffic tips, text 437-1620. It's News Radio 92.3. Informative, local, dependable. Temperatures will be warming up this afternoon into the upper 60s. 10% chance of a stray shower, otherwise partly cloudy skies. Overnight tonight, temperatures dropping near 62 degrees for your low. As you go into Tuesday, we will be warming up with a small chance of a few showers, 20% chance of rain on Tuesday with a high near 72. Tuesday night, temperatures dropping near 62. This is Brooke Richardson from the First Morning Weather Center. Thank you very much, Brooke. And right now we've got 50 degrees. It is partly cloudy in Pensacola, 51 in Gulf Breeze, and 50 in Milton as well. Your next news at 8 o'clock. Breaking news anytime. I'm David Wayne, News Radio 92.3. Remember when washing machines were made in America, were solidly built, and actually got your clothes clean? They aren't a thing of the past. They are Speed Queen, and they are available at Tops Appliance. Speed Queen washer and dryers combine durability and technology into the best washers and dryers in the world. Speed Queen will change the way you think about washing machines. They're built to last longer and deliver exceptional wash results. Unlike many other washers and dryers with plastic parts, Speed Queen uses commercial grade steel and porcelain components designed to give you at least 25 years of reliable, trouble-free operation. That's why they come with lifetime warranties, the best warranties in the business. See store for warranty details. Speed Queen washers and dryers are built to work and built to last. If you want durability, innovation, and perfectly done laundry the first time, then you want Speed Queen. See these great Speed Queen washers and dryers for yourself at Topps Appliance on Highway 90 in Milton, just east of Stewart Street. The best part about taking z Pure Z's Sleep Plus Next Day Energy at night? 
is actually the next morning. I wake up alert with none of the grogginess from taking too much melatonin. Pure Z Sleep Plus Next Day Energy is a bilayer tablet with immediate release melatonin and extended release B vitamins to help me fall asleep naturally and wake refreshed. It's my secret weapon for a great night's sleep and a great morning. Hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. Can't beat that. Zequel Pure Z's Gummies. Sleep better, wake your best. News Radio 92.3. Now it's time to play Which Host Did This? Andrew McKay, Jenna Barr, or Bobby Rossi? This host was on The Price is Right. Who could it be? Who is it? The correct answer is Andrew McKay. Get to know our local hosts by listening to News Radio 92.3. 92.3. Informative, local, dependable. Seven thirty-eight here on News Radio ninety-two-three, informative, local, dependable. I'm Andrew McKay. It's Pensacola Morning News. Uh, the Department of Education in Florida released the school graduation rates for the state on Friday, and uh, they do not look good for Escambia County. An almost seven-point drop over three years from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty-two, which is what they say is the better comparison, an even larger drop during COVID, uh, whereas you did not see that same level of drop in Santa Rosa County, Okaloosa, Walton actually went up significantly or across the state. So I figured the right person to call to ask about this is our appointed superintendent, Dr. Tim Smith, who very graciously uh, agreed to come on, uh, even though he's been on the back end of a uh, vacation, which uh, we all need vacation. <laughs> Certainly when you take it, if you're an educator, you take it right now. Uh, so thank you so much for being willing to join us. Superintendent Smith, welcome back to the Pensacola Morning News. News, sir. Well, thank you, Andrew. I appreciate the time this morning. Absolutely. So I look at these numbers and I, it's horrifying. I mean, my first reaction is, holy cow, you know, we, we seem to be doing a little bit better every year, even though our numbers were never objectively great. And then all of a sudden, massive setback that I don't think can be laid at the feet of COVID because other counties and across the state didn't have it. Who should I blame? Well, there are some important dynamics at work in the 2019-2020 testing cycle. If you recall, we did not have tests that year. And uh, our graduation rate for that year went up from 84.8 to 86.5%. The following year, we uh, went from 86.5% to 80. 7%, uh, that was the 2020-21 year. Now, what took place in those two years, the 2019-2020 and the 2020-2021 year, is that the test scores for uh, a high school graduation requirement were waived. So if a student had trouble passing Algebra one or the English two exam, that would not be a hindrance for them to graduate. This most recent cycle, the 2021-2022 year, it did, and so we and we had a significant drop. You are absolutely correct. Um, 
where where we have to be uh, moving forward is making sure one that we're monitoring our students who are struggling with these tests, providing intervention, and then making sure we're having them retake the test as much and, and as frequently as possible. So if a student does not pass the English, uh, the sophomore English class, which is the grad requirement, what has to be done is we have to retest that student every opportunity we can. And then also our ACT and SAT exams have to be given every opportunity as well because those can act as concordance scores and have the students get over the, over the finish line with that required test. Uh, I, I think what, when we look back, we had a significant number of students who came back from masking and we had a significant number of students who did not and they missed a lot of instruction and uh, I, I don't think that's the cause in, in its entirety but uh, certainly uh, that had an impact that that missed instruction for the better part of a year and and then those students in essence had not as many opportunities to retake those tests is kind of that the dynamic that emerged now whether whether you know we can move forward or not i i those steps have to be in place for us to to move forward is is to and, and we can do that we can have that more frequent testing those makeup tests given as often as possible for our students so help me out here because what what i hear you saying is something like this um the 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 graduation rates for the couple of years were artificially high and now they're back to what they were based on the testing but our solution to this is to give them more opportunities to pass the test to my way of thinking a test is just a measuring device and if we are having to emphasize passing the test so heavily that's evidence that the students don't have the underlying education the test is supposed to measure i don't think you solve that by just emphasizing the test, it seems like the underlying problem of these students just don't know enough to do well on the test is the issue. Well, and, and that's certainly, and, and we haven't spoken about the instructional piece of it as well, and, and you are correct on that. Um, what I was sharing with, with you certainly was a logistics issue and a, a, a follow-up follow systemically, but, but you are correct on that as well, is the instructional side of that. Um, when you look at an English exam, standards in the English courses, um, they, they vary, but not significantly different from a freshman English to a sophomore English class. There's a lot of, of similarity there, so, so you are correct on that, is why do we have some students who are learning those standards and some, some who are not? Um, and, 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 and that actually gets. No, and I was going to say, and, and the other thing that I'm kind of what I'm really trying to struggle to understand is why did Escambia County so differently from the state, from Santa Rosa, from Okaloosa have this issue? That that's that's the piece of this that I'm I don't feel like I have yet. Can 
Do you have an answer for that? Because that's that's the part that I'm particularly interested in. And I mentioned, and I don't know if it's relevant. You're the one who would be stud- would know this better. I was talking before we brought you on about the incredible disparity among the more urban high schools, Washington, uh, Pensacola, Escambia, and Pine Forest, where the and Pine Forest not as much, but they're low overall to begin with. That the disparity between white and black graduation rates is enormous, like twenty points or more. Uh, Superintendent Smith, I need to take a quick time out to get uh, Candy with a traffic report, but that's the question I want to come back to when we get back here in a second. Go ahead, Candy, with uh, traffic on the five. Uh, sure, Mobile Highway from Michigan Avenue to the Pine Forest split is one lane. That's going southbound. Uh, if you have traffic tips, text four three seven sixteen twenty News Radio ninety two three. Informative, local, dependable. Thanks so much, Candy. So, Superintendent Smith. Why Escambia uniquely had this big drop, and is there a dimension of this that has anything to do with the race of the students somehow? You you tell me. Well, and, and I have not done an in-depth – these rates came out last week. I have sure, not had fair. an opportunity to do a, a thorough um, analysis on this, but I will tell you one of the greatest challenges – that exists in public education today is the disparity between uh, economic groupings, and so what you're what you're seeing is if you look at poverty rates, um, that's where I think we start to see some correlations. So where there's higher rates of poverty, uh, there there tend to be a correlation of more struggling performance, and if you look at the the poverty rates based off of free and reduced lunch rates uh, from one district to another, um, I think you'll you'll I would speculate we would see some patterns there. Uh, I took a pretty quick glance at that, looking at that angle, and I saw some of that. But again, I haven't had really enough time to dive deep into that. Um, and, and that's one so. Of so our is the troubles. issue there? I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm trying to put together all the various things that I'm hearing from you. It's not black white per se. It's those as markers for economic conditions, which might in turn be markers for um, you know home conditions, support from parents, multiple or single parent families, but also remote learning was particularly hard on economically disadvantaged students. Right? That was un- it was bad for everybody. It was uniquely bad for them. Is that right? Yes. Yes, you are exactly right. And there, there, interestingly enough, there were pretty high. There was a pretty high percentage of uh, economically uh, struggling families who had students on the remote learning. So now, now, why that happened? That's a whole separate conversation, I'm sure. But, um, but, but those factors will have impact. And so, and it's, it's really, it's one of our greatest struggles with education across the country is the different performances economically and that correlation. And that's been, been one of our big struggles. So for us moving forward, what we need to do is we have to have instructional excellence every day. That's always a driver for us, but we also need to provide interventions and um, often we need to create ways to have extra time for students who may have may be struggling with with classes um, and and trying you, you know when you think about it you can have an advanced student who goes home and does a couple hours of homework um, and if you have a, a student who's not doing a couple hours of homework you, you see time disparity that emerges there and so how can we create ways to 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 get some more time. Certainly complicated uh, question there, 
but it's it's those types of interventions that we we have to strive to to maximize and this is where you would talk about like after school programs you know uh educational mentoring tutoring programs at like community centers and things like that i i assume as well but you also um, yes. And this came up in a previous uh, school board meeting. You also are trying to focus more on just basic attendance rates, which is a real problem in our county as well. And we know that attendance, I mean, if you're missing your seven hour school day and you're missing it a lot, that overall aggregates to a lot of missed instructional time, which will translate into school grades and graduation rates. Right. That's right. And we get the reversed at, at, uh, the reverse effect when our students are missing uh, class, we get the exact opposite of what we want. Instead of extra time, we're getting less time. And right. So we've been running about 91% daily average rate of attendance throughout our district. We monitor that. Every school monitors that every week because we're trying to push that rate up. And so uh, we sometimes we see some glimpses. In, in late December, we went up to 92%, which was, it's not great, but it's a win going up a, a whole percent. And and we, we track that weekly, and we, the schools are trying different, different things to, you know, encourage student attendance. But it is it is gigantic uh, to have – when you think about that, it, 91%, that means at any given day, 9% of the students are not in school. I, it, I, I know. That, it's that's, a, that's a terrible it, number. <laughs> it's an awful number, it unfortunately. It, 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 it absolutely is. And so – that's a uh, that's a great challenge that we have, and we have to we have to turn that. So, do do we know, again year, see a correlation? And uh, you know the numbers better than I do, but do we again see a correlation there? I've looked at it, but I didn't necessarily see what I was hoping to find. Is there a correlation again there with attendance to economic disadvantaged students? You know, um, uh, free and reduced school lunch, for example, percentages. Do we see that? So, so here's what. Um, I, I saw last year, there was about a 5% difference in daily average rate of attendance between A and B schools and DNF schools. Mm. Our okay. DNF schools also hedge towards uh, higher uh, poverty rates. Okay. So I, I would say, yeah, yes, there's certainly a, a, a pattern there. Okay. All right. Well, so that's a much broader conversation then about what we need to do to serve those students. Um, but that, that I, so that that helps me a lot, and that gives me at least some understanding of what are some of the what's the shape of some of the challenges that we're up against. And and I appreciate that, um, Superintendent Smith. Uh, I had a bunch of other stuff I wanted to get to with you, but I knew this was the key thing we wanted to talk about. Again, thank you for taking some time to talk with me, even while you're kind of returning from vacation. Um, I always hate to interrupt people on vacation, but I appreciate it, especially since this just came out on Friday, and you, as you said, haven't had. A chance to really look deeply into the numbers uh but i look forward to having more conversations uh, about this in the future and again thank you for the time sir i appreciate it well and, and andrew thank you i appreciate the time and, and i appreciate your advocacy for our students and our our schools thank you i that that, that is is greatly appreciated you're very welcome very welcome 752 on news radio 92.3 i'm andrew mckay Hey, this is Dr. Ben McMillan. I do a show on the Pensacola Expert Panel. We talk about your health problems. Let me educate you about the Activator Method of Adjusting, which offers a safe and effective alternative to traditional manual adjustments. So whether you've been hurt in a car accident or have been suffering from back or neck pain, chiropractic care could be your solution and not just a temporary fix. Join me this Friday on the Pensacola Expert Panel. The Pensacola Expert Panel, 9 to 11 weekdays on News Radio 92.3 AM 1620. 
Hey, Kevin, how's the boat running? Well, you know, last week I started working on the water pump and now I can't remember how it goes back together. Dude, stop. Call Key Marine. They'll get you and your Mercury outboard back in the water so we can go back to fishing again. Key Marine gets the work done and lets you handle the fun. They'll fix any problem, big or small, even if the problem is you don't remember how the parts go back together. Key Marine, your Mercury outboard dealer on Bower Road in Pensacola. When you listen to News Radio 92.3 on Saturdays, you get the Garden Line Encore at 9. At home with Gary Sullivan at 10. Swan Capital at 1. Let's go Pensacola at 4. Father spent three years restoring this car. It is his love. It is his passion. It is his fault he didn't lock the garage. Here on News Radio 92.3, informative, local, dependable. What did you think about uh, Superintendent Smith's answers to the questions? Um, I, 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 I feel like here's kind of where I land on this. Um, Escambia County is uniquely challenged with uh, poverty and uh, family structure and things that go along with that. And so though I agree and recognize that those are important drivers of whatever numbers we're seeing. I also feel like that's just the nature of it. And we need leadership that's going to fix that or that's going to work within that somehow. And that's the part I've just, I don't know if we're seeing that. And that's the question that I hear a lot of people asking is, okay, well, this is the shape of the problem. Let's work within that problem and solve it. That's that's the question, right? How do we do that? 754 News Radio 92, 3, actually 55 here. Let's get uh, Candy in here real quick before David. Candy Cullerton with uh, Traffic on the Fox. All right, just watching this uh, one accident. Well, a mobile highway from Michigan Avenue to the Pine Forest split is one lane. That's going southbound. Again, that's mobile highway from Michigan to the Pine Forest split. Traffic tips, text 437-1620. It's News Radio 92, 3, informative, local, dependable. Thanks so much, Candy. Now, David Wayne's in the newsroom with our headlines. David? Well, California's weather problems continuing. Millions of people still under flood watches and alerts there, and uh, they're facing more rain and snow through today. Uh, an additional one to three feet of snow in parts of Northern California. All veterans that are experiencing mental health suicidal crises will soon be able to access free health care. The VA says effective as of tomorrow, all veterans, whether they get their health care through the VA or not, can go to any VA or non-VA health care facility and receive that treatment at no cost. Uh, that includes up to 30 days of inpatient uh, or crisis residential care and 90 days of out patient care and Italy's most wanted man is in custody. Mafia boss Matteo Messina Dinaro was arrested while being treated at a private health clinic in Sicily. He's been a wanted fugitive all the way back since 1993, was considered one of Europe's most wanted men. The mob boss was sentenced to life in prison in 92 for playing a role in the murders of some uh, prosecutors there and suspected of being responsible for dozens of other murders. All right. Thanks so much, David. 756 on News Radio 923. Uh, by the way, when I said leadership, I'm not trying to code for the superintendent. I mean, both superintendent and the school board. 
I mean, I, I think we're likely to, you know, there was kind of this half-hearted effort to have a conversation about uh, Superintendent Smith's job, you know, because some parents are really upset at recent school board meetings back in, I think it was December. And, you know, I think it was Kevin Adams had brought up the conversation about, you know, job performance, and then they kind of squashed that. So that is probably going to come up again. But if the school board tries to say that it's Superintendent Smith... I think you also have to ask the question, well, to what degree would it be the school board also? And I don't I don't know. I'm not I'm not laying the blame. I'm saying I don't know or even whether it's appropriate to blame them for an inability to have better results given the unique challenge that Escambia County faces. Right? I I'm I'm really not drawing conclusions. I'm not, I'm trying to be cautious because I don't want to get I think it's easy to draw a, a quick conclusion. And I don't have a quick conclusion that I think is reliable. I'm just saying these are the kind of questions you ask. Okay. 757 on News Radio 923, informative, local, dependable. Uh, in other news, we did have some football games over the weekend. Anybody watching football over the weekend? Oh, my God. It was uh, actually really good. I, see, this is what I do every year. I kind of ignore the NFL until the playoffs. Oh, sure. Because that's when I know you're going to get the good games. <laughs> you know, and also, I don't like to watch games with bad teams. And throughout the year, so I will tune in occasionally to a game where it's like, you know, they've got their, their really good quality teams. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, for example, I was watching the uh, the Bills game when DeMar Hamlin got injured because that was like going to be a great game, right? And of course, yes. it got canceled um, for very understandable reasons. But yeah, these these games were uh, fairly... So you're any port in a storm with football? Yeah, I don't have pro a team. Pro football. Yeah, with pro football. <laughs> okay. That's right. With pro football, I have no investment whatsoever. Next year, we are going to a game. And I, okay. Not this year, because I cannot afford playoffs. I got you. Yeah. But I, I <laughs> no know. I, I just love a good game. I love a game with drama that's close and to the end, and a team you don't think is going to make a comeback does, like Jacksonville. Or, you know, when there's some spectacular play, like a tight game, 17-7, Ravens and Bengals. Ravens on the one-yard line. Gets knocked free of the guy trying to jump over the pile into the hands of the defender who takes off a running. 98 yards all the way down. And I think there was maybe a block to the back at the end, but they didn't call it. <laughs> you know, so okay. Bengals win the game on that touchdown, essentially. You know, the uh, the Dolphins had a chance against the Bills. You know, they came way back to get in it and even take the lead, and then they cough that up again. Uh, and so, you know, just interesting games. It was interesting games. And, of course, the Jacksonville game, which, of course, is the one I didn't watch. So, yay. Good for you. You got a great comeback game. Wonderful. Third best ever.